So, last week, Jody uh, kicked us off in our series of going through Romans. Uh, the book of Romans in the Bible, a letter written by the Apostle Paul and sent to the church that's in Rome. And I know a number of people have been part of small groups this week. Does anyone remember how many sort of numbers of people we've been talking about gathering together in Rome? 200, yeah. And were they all in one big group together? No, they, they met in houses, that's right. So they were spread out, they reckon about five or so uh, house churches get together. But there's this really important letter that's been written to the church. And uh, Jodie, in her speaking, and Helen, in her singing, helped us to remember and reflect on the good news of Jesus. Can anyone remember the song from last week? Go on, Gemma. No, not by myself. Where it's Romans 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. Okay, so if you haven't heard Jodie's talk, I recommend it to you. It's on the church website. If you are part of the uh, church WhatsApp group, Rob has, uh, once again, uh, put us a, a link to that talk, so I would encourage it. And I would re who did anyone really dislike, hate their small group as they gathered this week? <laughs> so apart from Nita, thanks Nita. Me. Um, so just enjoy those times together, the richness of being together, of studying the word together, and those helpful resources we've we've got through. Uh, the Bible site is good. So last week we, we started looking at the good news and this week we will be looking at thinking about the bad news. And it's almost as if we need to know the bad news in order to really know and appreciate the good news. And so, um, how would I how would say, let's buckle up. You may not enjoy everything that we read and I say. Okay, so there's this question. What is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? Now, back in the early 1900s, it said that the Times newspaper um, sent out a message to a number of authors and said the question, what is wrong with the, with the world? And um, G.K. Chesterton wrote back and said, Dear Sir, I am. So very honest, very like, I'm what's wrong with this world. I'm what's wrong with this world. It's so easy to point finger and blame others as to why the world is in a, such a state, but part of the reason the world is in, such a, is in such a state is because of me. And there's an ownership and an honesty that needs to happen. So if we went to see a doctor and we said, Doctor, like there's something wrong, what's wrong with me? And the doctor says, well, I've got this diagnosis and it's really, really bad. It's really bad news, but we haven't got a cure and we can help you. You can be helped, you'd be so relieved. It's really bad, but there's some help. So we're going to hear the bad news because it's true of our human condition. There is something wrong with the world. And there's something wrong with me. So, what is God's diagnosis? What does Dr. Jesus say? 
And it's this. So Romans chapter 3, verse 23, says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So first thing we need to think about is what is sin? So one definition of sin is to... Oh, leave it, leave it up, that's fine. Um, one definition of, of sin is to fail. That is to miss the mark. So I don't know why, but recently I've just had a little bit of interest in the news about darts players. And uh, so basically, if you throw a dart, I need double 20, and I get double 20, then I've succeeded. But if I miss the mark, I've failed. Football, penalty, you've got to take your penalty. And if you boot the ball really high and it goes over the goal, you've failed. You've missed the mark. You haven't scored. So... You've failed to hit the target that you're going for. But what is our target? Because we're not playing darts and we're not playing football. It's something far more serious than that. What is our target? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God. Our target is the glory of God the very presence and character and weight of who God is. God wants us to be like him. First book of the Bible, Genesis, tells us that humans were made in God's image, in the image of God. That we are made to be image bearers. So sin is a failure to be truly human, the way that God designed us to be, in his image, those image bearers, to carry his glory and his presence into the world, to reveal to the world who is this God and what is he like. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In the beginning, he says that God blessed uh, his creation, man and woman. He blessed Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Be fruitful, increase, subdue, rule. So God entrusted to them the power to have authority to rule so that there was care, there was protection, there was prosperity over God's creation. God entrusted them with that authority. However, they didn't obey God's words. They didn't take God at his word and live it out. They failed. They fell short of the glory of God. They sinned. Adam and Eve, they had kids, a couple of boys, Cain and Abel, two brothers. And you know what brothers are like. They always get on so well. There's never a problem. <laughs> brothers are just awesome, aren't they? Well, Cain is really angry. And the Lord goes to him, be careful. Sin 
is crouching at the door of your life and it desires to have you. But you must rule over it. Sin is there, it wants you, but you must rule it. You must subdue it. You must be its master. Sin. So in picture language, sin is crouching at the door. So sin is like a wild, hungry animal waiting to eat you up. Eat up humans. Destroy humans. Get hold of humans. Cain was warned by God but he failed to rule over sin and he ended up murdering his brother. Jesus said this, whoever sins is a slave to sin. So our human condition is that we get trapped by sin. We get locked up by sin, captured by sin and we need to be rescued restored, healed, delivered. Sin makes its home in us and rules over us. We're failing to rule over sin. Sin is serious. Sin leads to death. The wages, what you get, what you earn, what you reap from sin at work is death. Spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, death and destruction because we fail to master sin. Jesus was asked, what is the, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love God with your everything. And the, the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. So love God with your everything and love other people like God loves them. So sin is our failure to rule over sin and to fully and rightly love God and other people. Sin is our failure to, to rule over sin and to know if what we're doing is right or wrong. Because we can think, well, what I'm doing is right. And then we find out, oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know whether I'm coming or going. I don't know whether this is good, bad, ugly. I... Confusion. I thought I was doing something right. I'm wrong. I didn't know. I couldn't help it. Sin is our failure to rule over sin and to keep our selfish impulses and selfish desires in check. Because if we're honest, it's all about me. Oh, no, sorry, it's all about you. No, it's all about me. And when we bump into each other, we get into problems because if I think it's all about me and you think it's all about you, we're going to fall into conflict. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We're getting into Romans now. There's lots to read. It says this. Romans 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppressed the truth by their wickedness. So, God's wrath is against 
ungodliness, a wickedness. Without God or loads of sin, we're suppressing the truth. Let's just do it our way, how we want it. So God's wrath. God's holy, so it's different. Holy means different. Righteous means it's right. So God's anger is different to ours. It's right and it's about his displeasure. He's not pleased. And his anger is a just punishment in response to human sin. So God's holy, righteous displeasure, anger and just punishment in response to human sin. So he's angry about the sin and he's angry about the choices humans make. God's angry and so we're under God's wrath. Now it's not about God's ego. It's not that God is self-centred. It's not that God is being like wild and unhinged and he wants to beat us like some abusive earthly father that's caught up in sin wants to do to us. But rather, God's anger is an extension of his love. God is the one who loves and cares about his lost, hurting people and he hates the sin that ruins and spoils their lives and their relationship with him and relationship with other people. Here's the thing, God in his wrath in this He's not smashing people into the ground and stopping them in their tracks and saying, you're terrible. What the wrath of God is doing, rather than smashing, is saying, here's a door, you can walk through it. I'm not going to control you. I'm not going to make you. You've got choice. If you want to do that, then you can do that. That is God's wrath. He's letting us have the things that we want and we've got to live with the consequences of them. Romans 1 verse 24 says that God, therefore God gave them over, gave them over in their sinful desires. He gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another, it says there. Three times in verses uh, 24, 26, 28, it says that God gave them over. God gave them over to shameful lust. God gave them over to a depraved mind. God gave them over, as we've said, to the desires of their, of their hearts. It's a bit like, uh, I don't know if you've heard this story, in the book of Luke, chapter 15. Um, famous story, many of us have heard it, but some may have not. There's a father with two sons, and the younger son comes and says to his father, in shorthand, so, father, I wish I could have what I'm going to get when you're dead. I want my inheritance, and I want it now. And I want to leave my family home. I want to leave you. And I want to do life my way. And now, as I've thought about this, I've never thought this before. I've never thought that the father might actually be really angry with his son. 
Who do you think you are speaking to me like that? But what does he do? He opens a door. He lets him go. He says, here you are. This is your inheritance. You have it now. And then he goes off and he wastes it all. And one day he comes to his senses and he comes back home to what? To a father with wide open arms to receive him back because he's changed his mind. So God is giving them over, giving us over. Why did God give them over? Why did that father let his son go to do what he wants? Well, because in both cases, they were rejected. People have rejected God. But what God wants is for his creation to change their minds. Romans 1, verse 18 to 20, we're going to look at that. So, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain. You can know about God, I've made it plain, it's plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. God has made awesome creation. How can you say there is no God when all around creation calls? Creation witnesses to God. It speaks of God. It tells us of the creator. God reveals himself through creation that we can know God, creator, sustainer. Some people often say, what's going to happen to those people who've never heard about God, never heard about Jesus? He's already spoken to them. Creation speaks. Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens... Oh, sorry, it goes on. What it's saying is that God is speaking. God is communicating. How can we say there is no God when all around creation speaks? We have got no excuse, is what God says. You've got no excuse. Hello, I'm here. You can recognise me, you can see me, and you, you can be led into greater truth and greater revelation. There's more to come, but are you wanting it? Sin is at work. Sin is ruling and causing humans to be deaf and blind and they reject their creator. Verse 21 of Romans says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified God or gave him thanks, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise... 
like the wisdom of man, we're great, we can do this. But they became fools. And what they did, they exchanged, listen, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like man and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. We've swapped God for things. We've swapped God. We've exchanged God for what? For your mobile phone, for a TV programme, for this, that and the other. When we should be looking at God and living with God and we've gone off and swapped God. The multicoloured swap shop came to town and we swapped God. Verse 25 says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Now, we don't want the truth. We'll have that lie, please. Thank you. We don't want you, God. We want images of things, idols of things that we can really love and enjoy and think they're amazing, like cars and motorbikes and football teams because they're just so good, aren't they? They're so brilliant. They do well. well I mean... Furthermore, verse 28, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. It's, there's no point in knowing God and retaining knowledge of God. What's the point of that? That's worthless. Why don't we just help ourselves to a depraved mind so that we can do the things that we ought not to do? They exchanged the knowledge of God for a morally corrupt, wicked way of thinking. What are, they, what, what are we doing in our swapping and exchanging? They've exchanged, they've swapped God for something so inferior, a much lower quality of life, and that's not even true. The life we think we're getting and gaining is a big fat lie, and we miss out on the truth that knowing God is the greatest, bestest, most awesome life-giving, enriching thing that we could ever do with our lives, to know him and make him known. So when this swapping goes on, there's God, no thank you, I'll have that. The Bible calls it idolatry. Idolatry isn't just about worshipping statues and pictures of little gods or, you know, that's not something we would do today, is it? But really, it's about swapping God for anything else. What is taking God's place? I wonder where, where have I exchanged God? Where have I swapped my God for that which is inferior? Where have I settled on something that is created rather than my creator God? What is it that I satisfy myself with? Where have I being given over by God to sinful desires. Where has he opened the door and just said, okay, son, if that's what you want to do, you can do that and you live with the consequences of it. So sin is at work. Sinning is playing out in humanity. How does it play out in the time of, of this letter? So verse 26, 27. 
Because of what they're up to, God has given them over to shameful lusts. Women exchange natural sexual relationships for unnatural ones, women with women. In the same way, verse 27, men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men. Women with women, men with men, sins at work, sin is at work. People are choosing not God's, but my way. What else is happening? When sin is at work, verse 29, 32 of, of Romans, it says this, what chapter are we on? I can't remember. Are we still in one? Oh, my word. Um, I was waving at the, the car. What's happening? Well, how's it playing out? Well, uh, they are filled with every kind of wickedness. There is evil, there is greed and depravity or corruption. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. Malice, a tank called malice by the jam. Basically, these people want to cause harm. They've got wrong intentions, harmful intentions. They're gossips, they're slanderers, they're God-haters, they're insolent or how rude are you? Arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. There is no, they've got no understanding, no fidelity, no faithfulness, no love, no mercy. And all they know, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do these things deserve death, like you can put a warning on a cigarette packet, danger of death, warning, smoking seriously harms your health, causes death, doesn't stop people smoking. The warning... The warning for Cain, the warning, the warning. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. But there's death involved. I don't care. Sin leads to death, separation from God. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. Now, to me, all that we've read out sounds just like today, doesn't it? So they had a really tough time going on in Rome, but that was like nearly 2,000 years ago. And Paul, as we found out last week, was confident in the gospel that the good news of Jesus could help those people in their situation. And it's the same for us today. So God's wrath is revealed to those who are unrighteous who are sinful people, who are morally wrong, who are not living what's right. God's anger is motivated against this by his love. He doesn't want to override our decisions. He wants us to give us over to those decisions and consequences with the hope that because of his kindness, we will be led to change, like the sun, come to our senses and return back home and receive such a welcome. Chapter 2. <laughs> so you can imagine that the, the, the Jews, they're just going, oh, they're talking about the Gentiles. Remember that part of the thing of Rome, he's writing right the book of, letter of Romans, he's saying, I want there to be unity between non-Jew, Gentile, and the Jew. And and basically, he's just, he's just 
destroyed us, hasn't he? Us Gentiles, us non-Jews. And then, of course, you've got the perfect Jews who are righteous and religious and, you know, if we flip it, they go to church every week and they, you know, they believe all the right stuff. And uh, you see, you can imagine Jewish people thinking, I'm sure glad I'm not them. I'm sure glad that's not true of me. But Paul turns on his, on his Jewish hearers and tells them, you are just as guilty. Remember, all have sinned, not just Gentiles, not just Jew, non-Jews, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are deceived. How does sin work through religious, godly, religious, godly people? They go synagogue every week, they go church every week. Well, Romans tell, I'll do it in a short version. It tells us they're judgmental. They show contempt for God's kindness. They don't want God to be kind to other people because those other people deserve whatever punishment they get. Very judgy, very critical. They're stubborn. They've got unrepentant hearts. They're not in alignment with the things of God. They're just right and true about what they think about themselves and about other people. They forget that when they're pointing their finger, they've got three pointing back at themselves. I'm doing all right. I'm a good person. I, you know, I help people. God's judgment is on you, Romans 2 says, because you've, you're, you're only religious or uh, a Jew outwardly and not inwardly. In other words, your heart is far from me. I might be on your lips, but we're not in relationship together. Because of your stubbornness, verse 5, because of your stubbornness, because of your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against you, God's wrath for the day of his righteous judgment. The judgment that I've been talking about is God opening the door and going, away you go. This judgment is talking about when he comes in glory, when every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess, Jesus, Lord, and then he will divide them up, like Matthew 26, like sheep and goats, those on the right, those on the left. And God, in his righteous judgment, will judge all, everyone. Whether they've been a dirty, rotten, stinking sinner, or whether they've been a regular churchgoer. He will judge us. And God's judgment is true and right. He knows everything. He knows. So self-righteousness can't count. So the people that God, God judges will either go away to eternal punishment or eternal life. This is the bad news. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jew, Gentile are alike. They are all under the power of sin. None of us are able to either measure up or live out the glory of God. All of us are in need of God's mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, 
a sinner. We all need a saviour. We all need someone to rescue us. So there's the bad news, and we've got to own the bad news. But there is help. There is good news. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then it goes on to say, verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. And are justified, made simple, just as if you never sinned. Just as if you never let sin rule over you. Just as if you ruled over the sin that came your way and the monster tried to come again. You went, no, not having it. I'm not having any part of you. You are not going to rule in my life. I, in the name of Jesus, rule over you. So we are justified freely, just as if we sin, by what? By hard work, determination, trying, earning. No. By his grace, by his gift. It is the free gift of God that we can be rescued from our sin and walk in a way where we rule over sin, that it doesn't dominate, control us and boss us about anymore because of the grace of God, through the redemption. It's a picture of the slave market. So if, if, um, if Chris was my slave, I own him. He's my property. And then James comes along and says, I'd like to buy Chris off you, please. And I go, fiver? And he go, okay. <laughs> Here's a fiver. Like, imagine that. Imagine you being in a slave market. You're a slave. What are we a slave to? We're a slave to sin. Whoever sins is a slave to sin. I'm a slave to sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What do you get with sin? You get death. What do I deserve? Death. That's how much it costs. Not five, huh? Death. And then the very one who created me, the one who made me, steps down into his creation and becomes just like me, a human being, and he lives a perfect life. And then he dies on the cross for me. He takes my, pl my place. Jesus becomes sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. He comes and buys us, pays for us in his blood, his death. And then he says to us, come follow me and I will make you. Be my slave and you will know true joy. See, Paul writes at the beginning of the letter, Paul, a slave, a servant of God. It's only when we become a servant or a slave to God that we know true freedom. Otherwise, all we know is the imprisonment of sin, slavery to sin. I don't know about you, but I've had enough of it. I want to be different. I want to walk in my freedom that he purchased for me. I want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in the cravings of that sinful nature.
So, it's good news, but it's bad news. And we need to know the bad news. And we need to know, God, where have you handed me over? Where have I partnered with sin? Where am I letting sin rule and reign with me? Where have I handed back uh, to sin the authority that you've given me in Jesus Christ? It's not a game. It's, and, and I hope you found from this, it's, not, it's all about wrongness and that, but it's about, it's about something evil and powerful wanting to dominate and control us. We can think about, oh, I'm a bad boy or I've done this wrong again. But that thinking doesn't help us. The thinking that we are in this battle and that sin wants to suck the very life out of us. And Jesus has done absolutely everything to cram the life of God into us. That we might be living for the glory of God, that we carry the presence, the weight, oh, the enormity of God in us, his church. That's what he's made us for. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is, is that we can be glory carriers. But until we really go there and face it and battle it, we'll just keep on entertaining and playing with sin. We need to be captivated by our master Jesus and follow him. So, Lord, we thank you for this letter. We recognise that there's some bits in it that our flesh, our, our, that sinful nature just doesn't. It, it's contrary to the world that we're in and everything, what everyone else says. But Lord, we want to live by your truth and not by the lies. And so may we be those that come into alignment with you more and more in Jesus' name.